Welcome back to Behind the Wings, a podcast produced by Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum in Denver, Colorado. And we've got a lot to explore. Stories about how history shapes aviation today, trailblazers in space, and up-close looks at iconic aircraft of the past, present, and future. It's time to go Behind the Wings. Gosh, it's episode 19. And we're so glad to have you along for the ride. Make sure you're subscribing now. And if you like to show, give us a rating or share it with a friend. It's the best way for new people to discover the show. And we really do appreciate that. And I mean that. On today's episode, we're going supersonic, exploring lessons and laughs from the cockpit of an F-16. I'm your host, Rick Crandall. With me, as always, is Wings Over the Rockies president and CEO, John Barry. John, what do we have for folks today? Well, Rick, uh, this is personal for me because uh, we'll be talking with Colorado's first lady fighter pilot and one of the first women to fly fighter jets, the F-16. And uh, her name is Tracy Lederette, call sign Jackie O. Uh, we'll get into her pilot pathway, starting as an air weapons director in an AWACS, that's Air Warning and Control System aircraft, and ending up in the cockpit of an F-16, where she flew direct presidential protection missions, and flew in a classified location for Operations Iraqi Freedom. Wow. As we get towards the end of March, we continue our celebration of Women's History Month, and no one better to have on the show than Tracy La Tourette. Tracy graduated along with 88% men from the U.S. Air Force Academy, graduating before women were even authorized to fly combat aircraft. She earned countless medals, including multiple aerial achievement medals, expert marksmanship, combat readiness, turkey shoot champion. Hey, there's a lot to learn in this episode for pilots and really for anyone who's interested in some of those key insights on the fighter pilot's mentality. So stick with us. This one is going to be cool. Let's get started. Tracy LaTourette, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, John. It's really great to be with you guys today. Perfect. We're glad to have you. We've been looking forward to it. And you know what? Let's let's do with simple introductions maybe to start. So people have a starting point. Who the heck is Tracy LaTourette? <laughs> well, I had the distinct pleasure of flying the F-16 for the Colorado Air National Guard for years, my home state, which was amazing. I'm an Air Force Academy grad, married mother of three, and I have my own speaking and coaching business as well. Very good. Well, Tracy, before we get into your journey and experience in becoming Colorado's first lady fighter pilot and one of the first female fighter pilots in the world, I want to start off with a big picture. What is your favorite thing about flight, whether it's uh, pulling nine Gs or soaring 50,000 feet above the Earth's surface? Looking back on your experience, what stands out for you? How long is this show? (laughs) Man, I could talk about flying all day long. Uh, You know, as you guys know, there's just something about hopping into that jet. Something extra special about hopping into the F-16, strapping that thing on, go screaming down the runway. You know, you take off, you're accelerating as you're climbing straight out because it has a massively powerful engine. And... You know, you get to to pull nine Gs. You get to fly up to Mach 2. You get to see the world from above looking down. It is so exciting. It's, it's an incredible rush. And every time I step out the door to go fly, the experience is different, but the excitement, the adrenaline, the, the feeling of freedom 
is always there. And so I love that. Every day it's a new it's a new landscape. Sometimes the weather's great. Sometimes it is horrible. But you know, those are the those are the sorties that we remember the most are the are the nail biters, right? Yeah. So I love all those aspects of the flying, but the thing that really uh, hits home for me is that I got the opportunity to serve our great nation in the airplane. I was called upon to protect freedom and democracy, and I got to do it in an F-16. So I find myself extremely fortunate for that aspect of aviation. Excellent. See, that that is so cool. And, and I, I love stories to begin with, but I always love hearing stories from the cockpit, right? It's truly a unique perspective, especially from someone like yourself who spent so much time flying F-16s. And what I'd like to do, Tracy, is take us back to, to, to the beginning of all this. You grew up in Evergreen. You're a Colorado girl. Entered the U.S. Air Force Academy less than a decade after women were allowed to attend and graduated with a class that was 88% men. So first, what was all of that like? But what drew you to the Air Force Academy? That is such a great question, Rick. So I was I was a gymnast as a kid, and the very first year that I qualified to compete in our state championships, it was held at the Air Force Academy. So we went down there. I was focused on gymnastics, but I walked into that building, and it just hit me. I was standing in a very special place. And it it's funny because I get a little bit choked up just thinking about all of the great warriors who had gone before me in those hallways, all the things that they had gone on to do for our country, the sacrifices they made, uh, the bravery that they showed. And I just knew that I had to walk a little taller and that I was going to be held to a much higher standard if I were to attend that school. And I knew I just had to be a part of all of that. Had you thought at all about flying before you went there and before you walked in there that first time? Never. In fact, not only had I not thought about becoming a pilot before I had walked in that day, but even when I was there at the Air Force Academy, I never thought I'd be a pilot. I wanted to go to med school. It's funny how, how life changes, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting for our audience to know that, you know, you didn't start out as a pilot. You were involved with sitting in the back of an AWACS aircraft to start with and as a weapons director. So walk us through those early days, what you were doing then, and a little bit about the mission in general. So the, the AWACS is a Boeing 707 with a huge radar dish on top and almost no windows in the back. And we would sit at our consoles, which were a lot like an air traffic control radar, but instead of keeping the airplanes apart like they do as air traffic controllers, our job was to bring them together. And we were providing situational awareness for our pilots that were out there flying the missions. Our radar was so big we could see really far so we could see further into enemy territory and provide that early look that the pilots couldn't see until they got a little bit closer. So AWACS was fantastic. That was the that was the career field that I graduated out of the Air Force, became a second lieutenant and commissioned into was to become an AWACS weapons director. So I did that for about five years and I loved it. I mean, I was I was on the radio looking at this God's eye view of the battlefield, talking to the pilots. I was part of their flow. I could see a bigger picture because our radar was so much more powerful than theirs. So I would describe the picture to them. And then, you know, as the airplanes got closer and closer together, then the flow would change and I would talk a lot less. So basically my job was telling pilots where to go. And, you know, as you guys know, I'm married a fighter pilot and he'll tell you that even though I've been retired for a while, 
I still have a habit of telling pilots where to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was great. I loved I loved doing AWACS. The only thing was what I loved to do in my off time when I wasn't at the scope was to go hang out with the guys up front and look out the window and how badly I wanted to find myself in a window seat. And it's pretty dark in the, in the back of the AWACS. There's just a couple little windows. And so I wanted a window seat. So that was my goal was to uh, to find a pilot slot and eventually become a pilot. So you were back there thinking about it, and I suspect the more missions you're on in the back, the more you're thinking about, gee, I really want to get up there. Was it a long time? Did it? How long did that transition take? Well, when I went to the Air Force Academy, I never expected to fly because I had been nearly blinded as a baby and had had an eye infection that prevented me from seeing 2020 uncorrected. I still corrected to 2020. But going in, I didn't quite meet the current standard of the time to become, to be pilot qualified, as we call it. And a lot of people face that. But I'm so glad that I had gone and I, and I pursued being part of something greater anyway, because as it turns out for me, years later, I went in for my annual flight physical as an AWACS controller. And I did the eye test and they said, okay, you're class one qualified. And I looked and I said, what? wait, that means I'm pilot qualified. And they said, yeah, the, the uncorrected rule had changed ever so slightly. And it was just enough for me to now be qualified to apply for pilot training slot. And I'd always said, if God wanted me to be a pilot, he'd have me pass the eye test. <laughs> and it was out of my control. Well, all of a sudden, that was the big sign. It is time to apply. So I applied to every guard reserve flying unit across the nation. I was active duty at the time, and I also put in my active duty package, but I applied to the Guard and Reserve as well. You know, cast a wide net. The, sure. the idea was to get the wings, so it didn't really matter what I was flying. I just wanted to fly. So I applied everywhere, which was great because it gave me a lot of different options in the end. So, you know, it really is fate had its way to make sure that you were going to get up in the air as a pilot one way or another. Well, that's a great story on persistence, too, and that's good for our audience to know. Never give up. You know, let's talk about Jackie O, the fighter pilot. You flew with the Colorado National Guard where you served for 22 years, including as deputy director of operations. Uh, so flying the F-16 and having flown them myself, I know what capable of the aircraft is. Uh, so tell us what your time in the Guard was like. Any favorite stories uh, from that time or with the F-16? So, you know, every day was exciting in the F-16. It's interesting, though, I happened to be there before 9-11, I was there on 9-11 and then got to be part of the, the morphing that happened post 9-11. And to me, that was really the big change. Pre-9-11, when we would go to the bombing range, you know, we'd, we'd bomb for quarter. We, we still bombed for quarters for quite a while after 9-11, but that was one of the things that we did to uh, keep ourselves sharp. When we went to the bombing range, we would we would drop our bombs, we'd come back, we'd look at our tapes, and whoever's bomb was closest to the target got like a quarter of bomb for, from every other person who had dropped a bomb that pass. And so there was always a level of competition in order to keep our skills honed. You always wanted to be the one winning the money at the bombing <laughs> range. So 9-11 so happened, and now we had this real threat that was not just hey, we're going to spin up, deploy, and go meet our, our enemy on their turf like we'd always done. Now, all of a sudden, they were here, and everything was different. Now, we were 
showing up to work. We were sitting alert 24-7, you know, began that day. We were flying missions around the clock. Uh, you know, eventually the way we handled alert changed, but that was the beginning of our alert mission here in Colorado. So we went from being a unit that was National Guard where you spin up, you get to your peak performance, you go deploy, you take the fight to the enemy. And now all of a sudden it's 24-7 and we are protecting our family, our friends, our loved ones, our homes, our land. Every time we hopped in the car to go to work. Wow. Now it's important for, you know, because the location of Colorado was significant uh, because, you know, the Guard Unit is right smack in the middle of the country. And really, you had East Coast and West Coast, but uh, the Guard Unit that you were flying in after 9-11 was essential for, you know, who knew what was going to happen in the middle of the country as well. So that's uh, that's really exciting. And, you know, having been an AWACS controller, you knew how to control airplanes, give them a heads up and things like that. And that translated, I'm sure, very well into your understanding how a battlefield management would happen, you know, flying an F-16. So that's that's exceptional that you've had both those kinds of experiences, so. Yeah, exactly right. All right, so you flew F-16s, and I guess that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but, and, and to be honest with you, look, I'm a I'm an Air Force brat. I, I served six years myself. I, I love hearing them fly over, right? I don't live too terribly far from Buckley, and I don't mind at all when they're training and flying all day long, and I love the noise and don't mind it a bit. But whether we like to admit it or not, new aircraft have come along specifically. Let's talk a bit about this uh, Lockheed Martin F-35 Lightning II, a fifth-generation fighter aircraft often called the most technologically advanced lethal and survivable fighter aircraft is as a host you're going to be for the upcoming behind the wings on pbs episode about uh, the f-35 coming out later this year you're getting up close with the f-35 where it's built at lockheed martin's mile-long manufacturing line in fort worth texas and speak to the pilots who fly it that's going to be pretty incredible i can't wait to see it when it comes out but we're going to we're going to put you to work here in a little bit of a sneak peek. What what have you learned about the F-35, the future of air power, and those incredible aircraft? Well, wow. All I can say is, wow. Yeah. I was born just a little bit too soon, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But my kids, our kids, you know, they all have at different points in their lives talked about wanting to fly, not just airplanes or fighters, but F-16s because, you know, they're the sons and son and daughter two F-16 fighter pilots. So that's kind of been the favorite aircraft in our house for years. And, you know, of course, that the F-16 will always play that special role in, in our hearts. But, man, I tell you what, the F-35 is to die for. I told my kids, if they want to pursue life as an F-35 pilot someday, I 100% support them. That airplane is incredible. I got to fly the Sim at Lockheed, you know, I've gotten up and up close and personal with it. I've even seen the dedication, the professionalism, the patriotism of the people who are hands-on actually building these aircraft. And it is truly inspiring. So from the from the ground up, from the first bolts that go that go in there, man, I tell you what, it's just it's incredible. When you were first getting a glimpse of it, does does the technology as advanced as it must be from the F-16 to the F-35, 
Was it like kind of a bit overwhelming at first? What's overwhelming is my excitement for how amazing the aircraft is. <laughs> but when I hopped into the jet, into the sim, I couldn't believe, you know, I always said, oh, the F-16 is so easy to fly from an aviator standpoint. What's challenging is employing it, you know, as a weapon. That's really the thing about the F-16 that makes it challenging. The F-35 takes that to a whole new level. You can't crash it. Okay, time out. Maybe you can. But one of the cool things that they have uh, included early on in the in the development of this aircraft is what we call auto GCAS. It's ground collision avoidance system. It's just that much smarter of an aircraft. It senses if the pilot is going to impact the ground and it takes over. It actually takes over and flies you away from the ground. So I got in the simulator and they said, all right, point it at the ground, try to crash it. Well, you guys know that goes against every fiber of our being, right? You don't try to crash an airplane. That's not what we're, that's not what we do. <laughs> So, you know, I roll inverted and I, pull, you know, pull towards the ground and I'm just cringing because it just feels so unnatural. But you know what? The plane took over, righted itself and flew away. I was amazed. Wow. It was really cool. Did you get a chance to wear the helmet in the simulator or was that allowed at the time? I did get to try in the helmet. It's a lot lighter mm -hmm. than the helmet that we wore in the F-16. Even since I retired, the helmet that my husband currently wears in the F-16 They've updated a lot of the features. But when I flew, we had the big night vision goggles that we had to clip to the front of our helmet. And that moment arm was so far out from where our helmet is that when you tried to pull G's, boy, you'd come back from a sortie and your neck was sore. Well, everything is integrated into the F-35 helmet. Not just night vision types of capabilities, but they have some really cool sensor fusion going on in that helmet. And sensor fusion, which is everybody's favorite word that's seen the F-35, I think, um, sensor fusion allows them to be able to look down and basically look through the bottom of the cockpit. Like you can like see past your feet. You can see everything that's around you because the computers are working inside your helmet to create this 360 degree view that allows you to not only see yourself, see around you, see the friends, the foes, see what's happening on the battlefield all around you. And so you become more of a battle manager than just a single seat fighter pilot. So kind of a combination of the fighter and an AWACS, it sounds almost like all rolled into this one remarkable machine. Yeah, even unarmed, the F-35 brings a powerful force to the fight. I mean, it, it's really the ultimate example of how to employ a weapon with unbelievable situation awareness of where the enemy is and what they're doing. Yeah, the F-35 brings such a new level of situational awareness to the pilot and to the battlefield. It enables them to communicate with each other because you're all looking at the same picture. Uh, their level of, of SA, as we call situational awareness, increases because you're, you're given so much more data. Uh, sometimes more data can be bad, but the pilot has the opportunity to completely customize what pieces of information they want to see in their helmet and on their screen inside the jet. So they make it work for them and they're able to get updates real time uh, on, on friendly forces and allied forces, which that's the part that's so cool to me. F-35s are being deployed all over the nation 
you know, your experiences uh, that you picked up on, uh, let's call them lessons from the cockpit and the fighter pilot mentality, the work ethic, the attention to detail and precision, all of it. What are some of those key takeaways that you can share with us? That's a great question, John. There's so much that we take for granted as fighter pilots and as military members. We go fly our mission, we come back, we debrief after every single mission training our combat because what a debrief does for us is it allows us to accelerate our experience so that we can learn faster than our competitors are learning. It allows us to stay ahead of that competitive rate of change and grow at a much more rapid rate. I get a kick out of one time where you had a movie in Nellis Air Force Base where they filmed a pilot greeting his backseater in the F-4 and said, welcome aboard, Bill. They had no idea we had an hour and a half briefing before and we have hours, you know, hour and a half to two hour debrief sometimes and it's a power. But let's talk about the fights on mentality from fear to focus, from chaos to confidence, overcoming doubts, excuses, and adversity and lead like a fighter pilot. Believe in yourself and others will follow achieve more than you've ever thought possible. Let's talk about some of the things that you bring to organizations that you talk to, Tracy. So the fights on framework is really, it's it's rooted in the brevity term fights on. When we are ready to engage in an air-to-air battle, we turn in and we call fights on. And that brevity term means that we are now simulating combat. We're training as if we are going up against the red air or the enemy in the air combat arena. Now, for me, I've personally always taken that moment as a habit, a trigger in my brain. I don't just say fights on. I go, fights on. That, that, and and at that moment, I am all in. Uh-huh. All of my worries, my stresses, my to-do list, everything that else that is unrelated to that mission is gone, right? And I am 100% focused on the mission at hand having that fights on kind of an attitude that fights on focus allows me to do better at every area of my life. So way back at life support, when I grab my helmet and my G suit and I'm ready to step to go fly, when I'm grabbing all those things, I'm mentally throwing the junk in the trunk, if you will. I'm putting away all my worries, my thoughts, my to-do lists, any distractions that are unrelated to the mission I'm about to go fly. I mentally leave it all in the locker. And what that allows me is permission to forget about it for now. It gives me this the mental space to win the mental game, which allows me to win the physical game that I'm ready to getting ready to go fly. So when I'm in the air then and I call fights on, I can 100% give everything I have to achieving that objective. And the power of what you just summarized is the power of compartmentalization. You know, that's what we do because you're focused completely on what you're doing. Not thinking about what's going on at home and uh, at that time, you got to be laser focused on what you're doing. So let's talk about another concept that you talk about, breaking barriers mentality. You know, explain what that means. So a lot of people talk about breaking barriers, but to me, breaking barriers is more than just challenging the status quo. Uh, When you are out there innovating and trying to come up with new ways to achieve new things, uh, you're going to to come across a lot of uh, barriers. And some of those barriers will redirect you, right? You'll come across a barrier and it will make you say, oh, I'm going to change what it is I was doing. I didn't really want to achieve that anyway. It wasn't that important to me. And in that sense, the barrier helps me define 
what really matters to me the most. But those barriers that drive you to fight for what you really want to achieve, those are the barriers worth breaking. Not all barriers are worth breaking. Well, you talk about, you know, innovating and inventing and driving the competitive rate of change in your industry. You know, that's a powerful part of what you just really have described for us. And and it's breaking more than just sound barriers, if we, as we did at Fighter Pilots, as it goes along here. But it's really incredible, Tracy, because being Colorado's first lady fighter pilot, you inspire people to greater heights than ever considered possible. I think that's the message that we can all take from what you've just commented about breaking barriers mentality. Yeah, thanks. And as we get towards the the end of this and, and right near the end of this, you, you talk about those blue skies in, encouraging youth, right, to turn their big dreams into reality, whether that dream is to become a fighter pilot or really to just achieve anything that is difficult. What is your advice for young people to follow their dreams, knowing the path ahead isn't always easy? The best advice I can give young people, and then I give my own kids, is find out what really inspires you. Like, what really fires you up? It may not be the thing that everybody around you tells you you're good at or tells you that you should be pursuing. Sometimes it's something completely out of left field. But if we allow ourselves the space, the quiet, to search inside uh, for what really matters to us, then we will find the thing that we are truly willing to fight for. For me, it was breaking the sound barrier. <laughs> and it took me a while to, to find that, you know, that dream inside of myself. But when I did, once I identified that I really wanted to break the sound barrier, then the path became crystal clear. The sacrifices I was willing to make along the way became crystal clear because I knew where I was going. I knew what I wanted to do. But before that, before I knew specifically what I wanted to do, I had a bigger idea that I, that I wanted to do something that was going to be challenging, that was going to be special, that was going to matter in the long run. And although I hadn't identified yet what that was going to be when I was younger, I knew if I worked hard, if I always chose to not shy away from doing the hard thing, but to face it, uh, then I would be setting myself up for future success no matter what it looked like because the job that you may want to do someday like for me may not exist today women were not flying fighters when I attended the Air Force Academy they weren't even flying fighters when I graduated from the Air Force Academy I'm so glad that I pursued greatness in general and that gave me the room for options when the opportunity finally did present itself so don't give up take a deep breath fire up and call Fights on. And this is what you've demonstrated clearly. I graduated in the Air Force Academy, trying something out, they waxed. Fate turned its way into allowing you to be a pilot, and you did an excellent job as a fighter pilot and an example for young women uh, and anyone on, on what is possible. So thank you for that, and thanks for sharing uh, those insights. That's absolutely amazing. Thanks so much, you guys. I really am excited to spend this time with you today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Well, thank you very much. That was, as promised, really cool. And I've got to say what I loved most, I mean, the, the F-16 experience was great, but I loved sensing her passion and enthusiasm and excitement for this F-35, just to see how alive she came talking about it. I, 
I found that to be pretty cool. What what were your takeaways, John? Well, you know, not only do you have a young woman who graduates from the Air Force Academy and then goes on to be a fighter pilot, but she's a mom. She's a white sort of a fighter pilot. Yeah. You know, that's in the same unit that she was associated with. But, you know, the insights that she's been able to bring to young people to understand how you can overcome barriers, don't give up. But applying that philosophy to life, because she does coaching, and she takes that fine pilot mentality and brings it to industry. And I think that's a great gift yeah. that she's been able to give on top of what she's done in uh, devoting her time to help defend this nation. Well, that'll do it, folks, for episode 19 of the Behind the Wings podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And be sure to visit wingsmuseum.org slash podcast to join the conversation and access the show notes. We'll be back soon, I promise, with another episode of Behind the Wings. Head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to subscribe and leave a review. It helps us a lot, and we do appreciate it. We'll see you next time right here on Behind the Wings.